Wax Lyrical is made on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respect to all elders of the past, the present, and the young ones coming up. Sovereignty was never ceded. There's something important that the moment of stopping to listen has in common with the labyrinthian quality of attention-holding architecture. In their own ways, each enacts some kind of interruption, a removal from the sphere of familiarity. Every time I see or hear an unusual bird, time stops, and later I wonder where I was, just as wondering some unexpected secret passageway can feel like dropping out of linear time. Even if brief or momentary, these places and moments are retreats, and like longer retreats, they affect the way we see everyday life when we do come back to it. Yeah. Who's that, sorry? So it was Jenny O'Dell, mm-hmm. and she has a lot to say. I mean, she loves birds, so she's always kind of listening for things in her neighbourhood, and she's based in uh, California. But she has this amazing perspective about how it's actually quite simple to return our attention to the actual world around us as we are further interlocked and entangled in the kind of virtual reality that quote is really interesting because it 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 definitely once I did my trip and I was very into firstly recording things um, and capturing my environment it was also the practice of listening for things it it became in itself very transformative and it did almost become this kind of retreat and without realizing it that as a practice it really stayed with me so I found returning home still the same attentiveness I had for space and for sound and for different places it fundamentally stayed with me and it did change um, how I was relating to experience on you know day to day and I found I found a very simple practice of listening for things for whatever reason it felt it kind of kept me in my body it was a very uh, meditative and I guess you could say it's a kind of meditation in itself but I think that kind of attentiveness has such a potential to transform the way people relate to things, even if that's just to bring us back into the world when we are further, yeah, locked into this, locked into this world of literally just thinking and over-evaluating and communicating, you know, a very linked-up virtual network. Um, so that's kind of my reflections on it, and I love that quote because of that, and the whole book is fantastic. What's the book, sorry? So it's called How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. Nice, yeah. Um, And she kind of plays with the idea of doing nothing. So obviously in the kind of economic framework we use currently to sit in a park and listen to something is definitely considered doing nothing. Mm. But to her, it contains, you know, an infinite amount of value. Yeah, 100%. I can see how it's sort of meditative as well because you are, you're really engaging directly with the present, right? Especially if you're listening to a bird and you sort of lose track of time and space and everything. And that, I mean, she's got a very specific, quite naturalistic view. I mean, for her, she loves birds. And I know there's lots of people that aren't that bothered by birds at all. Sure, yeah. So it it, it can be really anything. I mean, I found being a Londoner and spending all of my time on transport, particularly the kind of overground trains at night, I find something really enchanting about the... The, the kind of droning of, mm. of train against tracks yeah. and the movement of metal and I find like stuff like that 
with with listening and engaging with the environment much more I just found moments of you could call it moments of enchantment with like the mundane and the banal um, and that's really interesting I don't know I it was definitely something that I worked on over a few months of listening out for things and you could argue that uh, going to Latin America you might find a slightly more sensuous uh, rhythmic soundscape around you but regardless, um, you're still going to find things that you didn't hear before. Mm. And for me also, like when I was doing, so I still I still do lots of recording now and I do it at home uh, in London. And there was a funny day, a funny moment the other day where I went to a park and I'd been hearing this uh, screeching, the right. kind of this like loud yeah. noise and I was kind of wondering what it was and then for the first time kind of went up, up to go on this hill to go kind of see check it out see what was making that sound and it was all of these uh, kind of, they were tropical birds mm-hmm. um like parakeets i think and yeah. parakeets really screech and they clearly i'd been told that in parts of london we have these gangs of tropical tropical birds that have escaped from either kind of wealthy people's houses or zoos yeah. and they've kind of repopulated parks and so now we've got this hilarious um intrusion of foreign sound in yeah london park and that was like something really silly and simple right like Mm -hmm. going to find a curiosity for absolutely for something that you never usually notice but i actually was i wanted to go see what it was and it it was a really funny layer of knowledge of my environment that i didn't have before but it was it was that openness to it that allowed me to then find something out new um, and that's just an example of like how I think doing what I did translates into like an everyday engagement and interest in the world. Absolutely. I feel like it sort of takes the linearity out of like day to day existence. So suddenly you're you're allowing yourself to be curious and you're allowing yourself to go on tangents mm. from your regular life or from your regular mental capacity and actually explore the world around you. I think that's really interesting. I can say that, yeah, briefly. So I t- so in context of what I've just said, I two two summers ago, I took an amazing trip um, away. So I went to I spent three months traveling, and I started in Cuba for a month, and then I moved to Colombia, went down to Ecuador, and then down to Peru. Um, and my goal of this trip was initially to record music. Um, I play music myself, and I've always loved. Um, Latin American music and I was really excited for the opportunity to go back to Cuba because I'd been once before but to properly investigate Mm. um, and spend more time in Havana and then to then go along to Colombia and then kind of trace the influences of the Caribbean into into South America and then to see how music would change as I shifted into the Andes Um, and I just literally took like a small Tascam recorder with me quite an idealistic mindset (laughs) thinking that I will, I can seek out interesting things and see what happens. And that was really what I did. And I found searching out sound and searching out music led me down so many interesting pathways, which is exciting that I've got the opportunity to share them now. And I'm excited to play them. I felt I was more present and it was interesting talking to other tourists and travelers and um explaining what i was interested in doing and it's quite it's not really a very 
exciting or extraordinary thing to do but I was trying to engage with another sense because I think we must acknowledge that we're in a very um we're in a very image-centric culture like we're very obsessed with the visual um at the expense of our other senses Um, and I think fundamentally even though music is a very important part of our culture listening and sound it often yeah it takes a backseat basically so I think it's interesting to change that up and to actually take away the visual side of it um and then through re-listening to all these clips I have to I have to rely on my memory but a very different kind of recalling and Mm. it's not and it can't be orchestrated in the same way and I I think as a a point before we play any of the clips from Cuba my real motivation for doing it initially was that the first time I visited Cuba I I loved it I thought it was a, a really fantastic vibrant place but I found it interesting that the tourism industry there and particularly tourists going to have their cliched week in Cuba it was very much about orchestrating the perfect Cuban image so it would be you have the cigar and the vintage car in mm-hmm. shot and you very everyone wanted the same kind of golden shot the same 100%. golden nostalgia yep. um, which is fine uh, I would argue that you're you're kind of recreating a cliche that's quite far away from the lived reality I think of walking around and that's why I was so um, excited by the idea of recording Cuba rather than just taking photos of it because Mm -hmm. I felt like I was capturing maybe in some sense a a more live a more vibrant reality of what I felt Cuba was like Um, and of course that's going to be limited in the sense that it's one person with their own intentions and their own preferences to the places they were visiting and things, which is, of course, accepted. But nonetheless, I felt there was this kind... There is there is a magic in the ambience of, like, Havana streets. For sure. Um, we were just playing some just now, and it kind of it gives me goosebumps because I feel so... It feels like this return to this warmth, and I can feel the hot air. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that sense of ambience and place is really captured in the recordings. Um, and I could be at home in the winter in London and put on my headphones and I would be transported back. So uh, where were we just now? Uh, so we were in the centre of Havana, um, kind of the touristic side. So mm-hmm. you get lots of the very traditional um, traditional Cuban bands that play in bars and restaurants. So this kind of sound permeates every single street, mm. which is amazing because you leave one band and then you kind of drift into the sounds of another. Um, and in terms of the kind of musical, the musical heritage of this kind of style, it's like them seen as the son cubano or bolero style, um, which was very much was kind of mixed in with European influences because obviously Cuba itself is a complete melting pot of For culture, sure. mm-hmm. um, and this kind of slow salsa, which became incredibly popular in America. Yeah, it's a very specific mix between kind of Cuban music and a Spanish or European. I think this would be what you'd hear kind of in Buena Vista Social Club, lots of the very famous mm. exported sounds. And I I do find it with Cuban music, I think it's incredible. You hear it literally everywhere. Um, I was in a bar in Morocco 
a couple of months ago and there was a band there playing uh, Cuban music and yeah. it's just a testament to how loved this kind of style of music is. It's very romantic, it's very nostalgic. You kind of think you're transported back to whatever, like 40s, 40s Cuba. <laughs> So I wanted to put across in that recording um, just the noise of the city itself. Um, when I was talking about its rhythm, um, I found... So it's a kind of grid city, and I would find walking up these really long streets, um, just taking in all of these no like noises happening from day-to-day -day life. Um, it, it, for being a very relaxed place, it's also a very noisy place. Um, and all of the windows and doors are always open, so noise seeps out of every crack, um, which is amazing for when you're just walking as a tourist to just to be an observer, just to watch and listen. Um, so in that recording particularly, there is a woman selling her cleaning services. So very early every morning, people would start to kind of sing, sing, singing and selling um, either ice creams yeah, or cleaning services or this thing or this thing. It's a very vocal, um, sonorous mm. uh, environment and it's a pleasure just to, to, just to walk around. And I found San Rafael was one of the main veins of the city and I used to walk that street most days. Um, and then I started, after having recorded music, I thought actually this in itself is musical. Um, I want to capture this as a as its own kind of place. Um, and it, as another interesting aspect of that, I first thought when I was thinking about, okay, how am I going to record this city, uh, of marking each place and saying I'm here at this time um, and kind of document, documenting it that way. And I did start doing that, but then I thought almost it's more interesting for me because this is a project very much for myself um, of leaving it and seeing how I could recall that myself. 
um, and seeing if I could be transported back to that place and I would know where I was walking. So it was kind of a game with myself, which was remarkably um, accurate. So I was t talking earlier about uh, recalling and memory and it's fascinating to understand your um, your kind of memory and sound because it is unbelievable how much you can transport yourself literally back to that place. Um, it's almost like an untapped part of memory. So I find I've got hundreds of recordings and I can almost I can almost place myself in most of them. It's like an audio journal of some sort, really, yeah. Yeah, and it was. And it was, it was, I started doing this kind of sound blog. So it was a slightly different format to documenting a trip where I would post the sounds of where I was and would talk more kind of laterally about the experience itself rather than I was here and then I did this and then I did this. Mm -hmm. It would very much be this is this place. I've been exploring it. Um, in a way that can, kind of leaves it more to the imagination because for my friends and family at home listening, I kind of wanted to give them a piece of what I was experiencing without dictating too much what it was. It definitely provokes um, a visual memory as well. It's, it, it, the whole city for me, it's, I, I've got it so wrapped up in a sense of this warmth and this feeling like on my skin as much as a smell. It's... It's something that's very entangled and distinctive. Um, I definitely can see myself walking. I can see the streets. And that's, that, that's interesting because I didn't realise sound could be that evocative of, say, the visual memory as well. Um, and my memory is usually really bad, as a disclaimer, so <laughs> this is great to be able to transport myself back.
after Havana, I then went across to Colombia. Um, and Colombia, so I'd never been there before, and I'd read lots about it, but I was partially scared, partially excited, because um, I think traveling alone comes with its own challenges. Um, and I was really intrigued to capture the contrast in sounds in Colombia, because obviously when you go out to the Caribbean coast, it has a real influence from the Caribbean. So you do see some similarities in the styles from um, somewhere like Cuba going to Colombia. Um, and I was also, a part of this trip was that I was obsessed with the idea of the charango. Um, so I used to listen to, I used to be obsessed with soundtracks and in particular, it was the Motorcycle Diaries, which tells uh, the story of Che Guevara. That's um, Gustavo Santoala. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And lots of the soundtrack is a charango. So I was already in love with the sound of that, and I wanted to seek it out when I was away. And it's, I think it's an instrument that's more specific to the Andes, but you find it in Colombia as well. And I was sneaking up on a guy that was playing. This is kind of an evening in the on the coast in Colombia. So I kind of was just on the periphery, just listening in. And it was really beautiful because it's a magical sound and that overlaid with just the ambience of the evening. It does really invite you into the feeling of Colombia and it's a, I think it's a beautiful clip to pull you into the idea of Latin America. So um, I headed to Minka, which was a small town um, up in the mountains by the Caribbean coast. And it's so beautiful because you can see the coast from where you are. Um, and I stayed with this lady um, in her house, which was on an amazing veranda. Um, and one night I went to a bar for a beer and I there happened to be a band playing. And this band was a cumbia band which is quite a tr uh, traditional style of music that you hear on the Caribbean coast. Um, it often has a clarinet line um, and it's kind of a very, if it is, I don't know how to, to translate it in like, it's a very kind of feel good style of music that you would hear, I guess, in the countryside a lot as well as on the coast. Um, so I met the band and I invited them to come play at the house. And I said that I was looking for musicians to talk to and I wanted to capture different kinds of music. And they were more, more than happy to come and share their music with me. So it was an amazing um, and a very intimate opportunity to hear them play. Um, so I bought some beers and some crisps and we sat around all evening. And again, it was one of those beautiful evenings where it was very warm. There were insects in the background kind of singing along. Um, the first recording is one of the men in the band uh, who could, who was playing classical guitar, um, kind of serenading. And then following that, um, Sonia is singing. So Sonia was the 
the the lead singer of the band um, and the clarinet player, um, and she had a fantastic voice. So exploring the music in itself was amazing, but as I spent time in the mountains in Colombia, I my my listening opened so much more to the mountains themselves, and 
in that, just the insects and the life that exists in those mountains. It's a very um, unique ecosystem. And I, for the first time, really realized the magic of recording and being able to capture the the animation of a place. And one evening, we kind of climbed up to see a sunset and the cicadas, which is kind of, they're quite small insects that you find in tropical countries. Um, and you find them in Australia as well. Um, but they just sing so loudly. And we had this absolute night chorus of cicadas. And it was like, I compared it to industrial noise. I felt like we could be in like nature's factory. Um, and they was, and it's, you can kind of hear how the sound fluctuates in and out. And they're kind of singing out to each other. And there's so many layers to that sound, I just thought I have to capture... This is one of the moments where I kind of pulled out my recorder very quickly because I wanted to capture just the intensity of it. Yeah, so after I spent this time on the coast, the lady I was staying with uh, advised me that there was this um, accordion festival happening in Valle du Par, which is towards Venezuela. And she said, if you want to experience Colombian music, go there. So I looked it up, and it, it, it so it's basically like a Vallenato festival. And Vallenato, to introduce it, is like this kind of cowboy country music. It's very traditional it's all about seducing women and kind of living the, the Colombian cowboy life. Um, and it always has accordions in it. And you hear it, it kind of buzzes through radios and tinny speakers. You kind of hear it through phones. It's one of those sounds that you just captures countryside Colombia. So I had this festival in sight. And so I met my friend Bexy in Minka. And I had said to her at the end of us both staying there, by the way, I'm going to this festival. Is there any chance you want to come? There's probably going to be absolutely no tourists at all um, because <laughs> an accordion festival m might not be on everyone's uh, top list of, of Colombian things to see and do. Um, but she said, sure, I'll meet you there. So I think it was maybe a week later, we met each other at the bus station in Valle Park and had this absolutely strange and hilarious weekend. Um, we were basically taken in by so many Colombian people because I think a beautiful thing about Colombian culture is that they are so welcoming. Um, they love the fact that foreigners are in Colombia. They love the fact they're interested in their music. Um, we were invited into so many kind of street parties and conversations. And um, we had so much fun just meeting people there. And we, I mean, we stood out like sore thumbs, if, that's, if I can take that expression like that. Um, and yeah we saw we saw kind of competitions in, in accordion playing um, and there was some 
they're kind of cowboy characters playing their kind of really manically fast melodies together. There were some indigenous musicians there. Um, and we, we got to see some really interesting representations of music on the coast. So I'm trying to think what the other city's name is. I hate to do this, but famously the city where Shakira comes from. Oh, I don't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it will come back to me, but basically, I was I was researching instruments from that part of the of the coast, and they almost sound Scottish. There's like a weird Celtic crossover between wow. some of the instruments, um, and I don't know how those. There's lots of stories and fables about how, say, the accordion ended up in Colombia, kind of from shipwrecks and all of these mm. things, and I can kind of entertain all of them, but. Um, yeah, I had this hilarious time and I got to record lots of street musicians and warm-ups and just just people who were happy to see me there and interested. So I'll play some of those for you now. just talking slightly more about the Vallenato, um, which I think lots of Colombians don't like as much as lots of Colombians do like. So the accordion is an interesting instrument in that kind of music. So it first arrived in the arms of a German traveller in 1929. Another more exciting story claims that it was discovered in the treasure chest of a sunken ship off the Caribbean coast and then brought to land. And the sound of the accordion itself was claimed to give power to bring back the dead. And as I've written before, I was talking about the accordion plays a central place in the often lamenting sounds of Colombian coastal music. And its history is very much entwined with the African slaves brought to Colombia in the early settlements. After kind of a long day of watching music um we got a taxi home and the taxi driver kind of turns to me and says oh so you like Bernardo then and then I kind of said yeah it's interesting I'm listening to it and enjoying it and 
he said, can I sing, can I sing to you? And which I, of course, replied, yes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so this is him serenading. <laughs> Next, on the trip, I went down to Ecuador to meet my friend. Um, and I went with my friend Ollie. And we had a really magical few days. We went to a fish fishing village. Um, and it was kind of dead season there. So, yeah, we spent a pretty isolated three days on a hostel on a beach um, where if you got home too late, the tide was too far in and you had to kind of go through a swamp to get there. So always very anxious about getting home early. <laughs> um, and then one one evening we walked to a black sands beach, uh, which you can find in Ecuador, and the sand is glittering and dark, and when sunset it's profoundly beautiful. Um, and we were walking home, and it, the kind of the sun had set, and it was dark, it was really peaceful. Uh, we were kind of joking about trying to hitch a ride home, and obviously no one would pick us up. Um, so we were just walking down this kind of long, silent road, and I had to record it because there was something really magic about that scene. And it's also nice as well. Um, you can hear the kind of motorbikes going past, and you get that sense of your body in a place. And I think even just wearing headphones, you can hear the movement as it crosses you. Um, and I actually used this recording in a demo I was writing um, because I found some of these sounds have been really huge sources of inspiration and of creativity. Um, and there was a song I wrote as a lullaby and I felt this added a whole new story to it. So that was about something else, but this really added a, it added a kind of narrative uh, without really meaning to. Um, so yeah, here it is. The next recording is in Peru. So we travelled down, um, well, I met my friend in Lima and then we travelled down south, um, heading more towards Bolivia. And I was really interested in, again, seeing how music shifts as it responds to geography and space. So the music that you find uh, across the Andes is, is very airy. Uh, there's lots of pan flutes. It kind of... It reflects in some way, I think, the vastness and the airiness of the landscape there. 
So in this recording, you hear the um, a Sukuris band, and they're playing traditional Andean panpipes. And I think there, I think there were sixteen panpipes in this. So it was quite a funny story in how we found it because we were we were basically going out for a meal in a beautiful city called Arequipa um, in the south of Peru, and we went, we walked into a square, and I kind of heard I heard this echo of pan pipes and I'd been so keen to record some so I was really excited and thought this is the moment I get to record some but we couldn't find where where it was coming from and we kind of joked about this game of kind of following the sound and seeing where we end up but we were quite adamant about finding the source of it but we just couldn't see it anywhere and then I thought maybe it's coming from above so we climbed one level of stairs and we got closer to it and were really pleased about this and then went through a restaurant through like a back of a kitchen (laughs) And then went up another set of stairs and we found on the top of a roof in the, on this overlooking this square, uh, this whole band practicing for, they said it was a, it was a festival near uh, Bolivia. And yeah, they were all trying to like negotiate their 16 part harmonies on these pan pipes. And I just said, oh, can we, you know, get, buy a beer and stay and watch you guys and maybe record some? And they said, yes. So I got this incredible opportunity to have a private show of this uh, Securus band. So yeah, this is a recording. We travelled to uh, Puno, which is a really high up city off uh, Lake Titicaca. It's really, really high up. So I think you're talking like, I think it's 3,600 metres up. So at that point, the altitude really kicked in. I remember I was feeling pretty terrible at the time, but we um, we wanted to go down to the lake and at least see some of the... Um, basically, it's... Um, a bunch of islands that float on the lake um, and they're almost like visibly made out of straw and the indigenous people have they say they've lived there for a really really long time um, and they speak Quechua there so we wanted to have a look around and get on the lake and uh, a lady approached us and was offering to sing in Quechua so I scrambled for my recorder and uh, got a little bit of it I remember this morning because it was it was the last morning of the trip um, and we were in Lima again and Lima, I loved it. I think it's a beautiful city. It's quite big and industrial in a sense, but 
it has this beautiful uh, fog that comes in from the ocean every morning so you get these very moody ambient mornings that transition into an amazing um, blue sky but we were still in the morning and we decided to take a walk by the beach um, and kind of soak in the last moments of the trip and just you know just reflect on the last few weeks and I hadn't actually taken many recordings of the ocean uh, even though I seem to be near it all the time so I wanted to capture how the ocean was pulling against the rocks and it was creating this really nice kind of watery, squelchy sound. Um, and you can hear Bex in the background and we're just having a conversation. It was interesting after all of these experiences trying to first um, compress them together and just to because it experience just swirls around and it's so lucid and I couldn't tell you most of the time where I was in three months it was like this kind of dream which I've re I've put back together through sound um, and the recordings pull me back to different places but I probably couldn't record them otherwise. So it's an interesting, it's a memory bank. And one day I want to really like archive it all. And if I have children, they'll be able to hear it as well. So they'll, they'll you know, experience it in some sense like I did. <clears throat> it was a shift in gear, returning back to London, because I have this, I've had this kind of love-hate relationship with the city, as many people do, in the way that it's a harsh place. The winters are too long. It's very noisy, it's quite dirty. But in the same sense, it's the most stimulating, vibrant, exciting place you'll ever go. And it's a patchwork of identities and cultures and sounds. It's, it was a change in rhythm going from the kind of slow lull of lots of rural South America. And just the music itself, I really missed it um, going home. And just the way that, you know, like, in Cuba, you've got this beautiful kind of salsa seeping from each doorway. And going home thinking, oh, this is a far more silent and noisy place, defining noise as the sound I don't want to hear. So buses and cars and things and kind of wishing that I was back. But then it was, it was, it was a challenging shift to go home, but also I kind of welcomed it as well. I wanted the rootedness and the place and the home. And then I found, as I was saying earlier on, I really brought that capacity for listening back with me. And I did find that I'd come back to a new city. Um, I was engaging with it in a totally unique, new way. I paid more attention to things. I stopped more in the street. I engaged with things more. Um, from just, like, walking in a park and listening to things to staying an extra ten seconds to hear a busker. Um, so rhythmically, much faster, a more stressful place to be. But in many ways, it was a reinvigorated place for me.
Thanks for listening to Wax Lyrical. We'll be back again in a fortnight. Make sure to tell your friends, hit that like and subscribe. Big shout out to Flo this week for bringing in all of her travel recordings. Absolutely incredible stuff. See you next time. <laughs>